When I was younger, I spent the night with a friend one night, and we it was a Saturday night, so I went with him to church the next day. His family was Episcopal, so we went there, and about halfway through the sermon, my friend elbowed me and said, he preached that last week, and they had an older minister, and um, so afterwards I asked his parents, I said, did your priest really preach that sermon last week? And they said, oh yeah, he does that often. So, (laughs) we are continuing on repentance, but this won't be the same sermon. After last Sunday, I went home and just told Elena I felt like ah, so much more, so much more to say on this topic. And then on Monday, I got a message from Gary, and he just um, he encouraged me to go further if I felt led to do that. And so that was some affirmation. They also sent me a devotional from Spurgeon on godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The very end of that devotion, uh, Spurgeon said this, Sincere repentance is continual. Believers repent until their dying day. Every other sorrow yields to time, but this dear sorrow grows with our growth. And it is so sweet a bitter that we thank God we are permitted to enjoy and to suffer it until we enter our eternal rest. I feel like he captures captures it so well. One thing that I wanted to focus on last week was that repentance is something that takes place throughout our entire life. Or that, as Luther put it, that the entire life is one of repentance. So I want us to look at Psalm 51 together today, which is... The psalm written by King David, this is in response to his sin being uncovered, his sin of adultery and murder. Um, And Psalm 51 is walking through what's happening in David's heart, how he's talking with God. And I believe that as we look at this, we're going to see, as we saw last week, repentance is understanding that we have been found by the shepherd Repentance is understanding that we continue to be tended by the shepherd throughout our whole life. Repentance is identifying with the work of the shepherd, having the heart of the shepherd as he draws in the sinful world, as he brings them close to himself, that we're to identify with that. And then also as we look today, I hope that we will see that God recovers us through repentance. God recovers us through repentance. And so we're going to look at a few things as we go through Psalm 51, and I'd just like to pray for our time now. Father, test our hearts, know us, show us our hearts, reveal that to us, uncover these things that are deep within us. Father, give us a longing to be purified by You, by the work of Christ, by His righteousness, to long to run to that, Father, to long for the strength of Christ, His passion, to long for His work and His heart. Father, I pray, Lord, for our time in the Word, that You would work in a special way this morning, that we would 
lean in to hear the breath of God, that we would lean in to know you, God. Father, do whatever, rearrange our hearts, whatever it takes, Lord, to get us to that place. Take us to where you would like us to go and overcome our fallenness, Lord, to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Psalm 51, I will go through verse 15. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. This is the word of the Lord. So God recovers us through repentance. This is where repentance will lead us. First, it's going to lead us to a frightening form of honesty. And beyond what we're ever comfortable with, Dealing with on our own, certainly beyond where we're comfortable with talking to other people about, talking with the Lord about. But this is what repentance leads to. And look in verse 3 of 50, chapter 51. David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now, for that to be an honest statement that David is making, for him to know his transgressions, plural, David's had to get very honest. He's had to go beyond just this sin of adultery and the sin of murder, sin of lying theft. He's had to go deep to see that he understands his transgressions and that his sin. It's almost as if God is showing him his sin. He's showing him his heart. He's opening his heart to him. Now, for David to admit his sin to Nathan, the prophet, he had It had to come from a heart of repentance. This had to happen in the context of repentance. Now, natural reaction for David would be to keep this covered up. He had made it thus far. He's got Nathan here that's telling him this. And so natural reaction would be keep this covered up. And David understood what was at stake here. 
David's kingship was at stake. The kingdom of Israel, the honor of the people, the loyalty of the people was all at stake with what he had covered up here. Adultery, murder. And when people are confronted about an affair, especially in the public eye, they lie first. And and really they continue to lie until they get to the point where there is just no way around the evidence. And so then they come clean. And so, in other words, they get to the point where the only hope for them is to come clean. So why did David come clean immediately as soon as this was revealed to him by the prophet? Who had not witnessed it? This was a word from the Lord to Nathan. So why did he come clean immediately? Of course, the answer is there was repentance there, which led to honesty. But we see this in verse 4. And verse 4 can help us. And this is a verse that we immediately, we almost want to argue with when we see it because we know the background here. We know that he took Bathsheba for himself, who was a married woman. He sinned against another man, against his wife. But in this striking statement, David says, Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's a striking statement. And we want to say, No, David. You didn't just sin against the Lord. You sinned against another man, a woman, your wife, all the people of Israel, your children. You broke everyone's trust. But let's understand David's confession. Because what David is saying, this heart of repentance is revealing that he's not just repenting from or confessing sin because of the consequences of sin. He's not just grieved over what has happened or who all this has affected, including affected, including himself. It is the fact that David sees he has sinned against a covenant God. And this is when repentance gets serious. And this is when honesty gets serious. And this is when it becomes a distinguishing mark of the true church. When it becomes about God. When it becomes about rebellion against Him. And not just the dire consequences of our sin. And here's why this this is so important. There are times... And so let's, we can be very honest. There are times when greed will benefit us. Worldly benefit. If we're good and greedy, we can probably get some things accomplished. There are times when lying will actually be a much safer route than telling the truth. There may be times when we get away with a lie that will lead to great success. Pride may actually help us get ahead, accomplish something. And therefore, the consequences of our sin or the consequences of our fallen heart may actually be very, a very positive thing in our eyes and in the world's eyes in many ways. And so therefore, that will never lead us to repentance. If the consequences are good, if greed leads to more money of which we want, then it will never lead to repentance. If, if we're depending on our consequences. If pride leads to promotions, 
and people following us, seeing leadership there. And repentance is based on consequences. You see, that will never lead us to repentance. And so if we base our repentance on how our sin affects us personally or affects only those that are around us, then our repentance will fall very short. Our repentance will never go deep enough to be able to say what David is saying. He's saying all other people that it has affected aside, if no one ever knew what this has done, if this never affected me in a negative way in this life against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned, this is demanding deep, frightening honesty. Understanding what our sin does, how it offends a covenant God. And that's when, when it gets beyond... When it gets beyond what sin does to us with, as far as sadness, as far as frustration, as far as lies leading to more lies, and then we have to keep on lying and all of those things, and then we're in a trap, and so we say, okay, I've got to move to, okay, now it's time to repent. This is too much. But if we realize that this is a sin between me and a covenant God, if this is where repentance takes us to, then it's real. It becomes real. Doesn't mean that we, it doesn't mean that David didn't or that we won't hurt ourselves or others. It just means we aren't waiting until then. It means we're dealing with it before then. It means that we're understanding how sin offends our Creator, our Holy God. Now, there are four things that this type of honesty does for us, leads to, and I want to briefly run through these four things. So I'm still on point one, okay? Four things under this first point. This type of honesty leads to accountability. And this offers very valuable things in our life. If you can do this, okay? Because if we can, if we can have accountability, other people in our life that can know what's in our heart, that we can be honest with, frighteningly honest with, then it will take things out of the darkness and it will bring them into the light for other people to be able to pray with us, help us. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. So in other words, as our sins remain in the dark, healing can't happen. We, it, sin keeps us in bondage there, but if we bring it into the light with others, James tells us we'll be healed. Also, Accountability provides us help in the darkest moments. In the darkest of moments, if we have someone there to help us think clearly, to pray with, someone that has a history of your struggles, if you have someone there, God uses that. He allows for that. He allows to work through that. This is His grace in providing other people in our life. This is what real honesty leads to. This is what comes about from being honest with other people, with ourself, with our Lord, about our sin. This type of honesty also leads to real relationships with others. Now, sin is very deceptive. We think we can hide, hide it, but often it's not near as hidden as we may think it is. And here's what I mean. You may struggle with the sin, and this can go with, for many, 
maybe all. You could really struggle with the sin of pride. And yet you're not going to come out and admit that you struggle with the sin of pride. Well, the truth is, is that people all around you understand that you struggle with the sin of pride. Yet it's not something that you're willing to unmask. And when you can come to that place of seeking, admitting to God, seeking His grace, you'll be amazed at the kind of relationships that can be repaired and the kind of relationships that can be made and they're real, they're genuine. When you're able to let these things come out of the dark, when we're frighteningly honest about what's going on, real relationships develop. So you may have heart of thanklessness. You may have a victim spirit. If they're in you, you're not hiding. And you're hurting the relationships with the people all around you. These are the things to get out of the dark. Also, this type of honesty reveals ever more God's grace and His kindness towards you. David suffered, but he remained king. God did not take His Holy Spirit from David. God did not abandon him. When we're honest, when we're honest, like when we see this in verse 3, he knows his transgressions. And then he sees that God didn't take the kingdom. When he sees that God didn't take the Holy Spirit, we have to admit what God has allowed us to do and have and be despite our rebellion. When we're able to see the depths of this, we're able to see God's grace ever more. The things that He continues to provide us with, continues to give us, the people that He continues to surround us with, we will be ever more thankful for His grace. And we will further see His willingness and His desire to forgive by this heart of repentance that leads to this kind of honesty. Also, this type of honesty demands God's work of cleansing. It demands it. When we're able to get this honest with ourselves, when we're able to get this honest with others, when we're able to get this honest with the Lord, we know. When we lay our sin out there, or when we ask God to show us what's really going on, we see how frequent it is, we will know for sure. There will be no doubts. You will not get tired of me saying that our goodness and our righteous acts can't make up for our wrongs. There will be no doubt. And it, it will demand God's work of cleansing. Look at verse 7 in chapter 51 where David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What we find out, if we look, look a little bit about what the hyssop branch was used for, we see that it was used ceremoniously in the Levitical law. When a leper was healed from leprosy, what took place was is that the priest would dip the hyssop branch in blood and he would sprinkle this former leper with blood pronouncing him as clean, saying that he's now clean from leprosy. This same process took place when someone touched a leper. Then they were quarantined because they touched a leper. 
And after a certain period of time, they didn't get leprosy. So they said, okay, you've been quarantined, let's say, for 30 days. You haven't come down with leprosy. So you're going to go through this process of being pronounced clean by me, the priest, dipping the hyssop branch into the blood, and I'll sprinkle you with the blood, pronouncing you as clean. Okay? So what David is saying, he is saying, I could never make myself clean. But God, if you choose, if you choose to take the hyssop, and if you choose to sprinkle me with your blood, then I'll be clean. And I know there's nothing that I can do to make myself clean now that I see all of my sin. But God, I know that you can make me clean by your grace. It demands God's work of cleansing. So David is he's being very honest. He's saying, Lord, I deserve for you to look down at me and see me as a leper, unworthy of your touch. I know that that's what I deserve, and I know that there is nothing I can do for the rest of my life to get me in a position of being clean before you. However, I know that you can make me clean. And if you purge me with the hyssop, I will be clean. If you wash me, then I know that I will be whiter than snow. This type of honesty, this type of true repentance demands God's work of cleansing. Moving on to the second point. Repentance leads to restoration. So repentance means we admit we're wrong. A life of repentance means we're wrong a lot. It admits that we lose and we admits that we fail. We make bad decisions. It admits, it admits that we're broken people. But it is also saying that Christ fixes us. And he, He's continuing to fix us. And He will fix us. This is what repentance means. Christ is coming in to fix us. He's making us better. He's making us well. And He's going to keep doing that. And He's going to continue His work. I remember when I was young, I went to my first basketball camp as a young kid. And I had been playing basketball really ever since I could pick up a ball. And I learned how to shoot a basketball by just understanding that the ball needed to go in my hand, from my hands into the goal. Okay, and so as a young kid, I'd pick it up and I'd shoot it like that. Maybe it would go in and maybe it wouldn't. But when I was at this basketball camp, and I remember this drill very well, the coaches who were players on this college basketball team, and I was a kid, they you know, were towers, giants. Part of this drill was for me to dribble the ball up to a line that they had taped on the floor and to go up and shoot a basket. And the coaches got down on their knees in front of the line. And I couldn't go beside the line. I had to go right up to it. And they'd say, okay, now shoot the basket. And they're on their knees. And so every time I'd go up and I'd shoot. And every time they'd swat it away. They'd block it. So they'd tell me to go back again. Shoot it. Swat it away. They're on their knees, okay. And so, and so many are doing this. And every time on their knees, they're just swatting them back and forth. And then they said, okay, we're going to teach you how to shoot the basketball. And they taught us that you take the basketball and you don't push it from your chest. You take it up above your head and you shoot it like this. So after a little practice, they said, now come up to the line. And we'd come up to the line and we'd take the ball and we'd shoot it like this. And they're on their knees and they'd try to swat it and they would miss it. And we'd do it again. 
again. Now, what if they had taught us that drill? Okay? What if they had come in and said, this is how you do it. And we go up there and they keep swatting it away. They keep, and you'd say, well, I might as well have kept shooting shooting it from my chest. They came in and they fixed it. So this is what repentance leads to. It leads to restoration. It means Jesus is coming into your life and he's fixing stuff. He's showing you what's wrong, but he's also showing you himself. He's showing you what he's doing. So repentance is not just to recognize our wrong. It's not just to rejoice in our wrongs. We can do that. And there's blessing in that to recognize our need. But it's to say there is a better way. And there is a better way when you're led by the Holy Spirit. So Christ fixes us. He conforms us to Him. So let's look at Psalm 51.12 as we're moving down the psalm here. David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So how does repentance restore? What does Christ do to fix us? The first thing we see, He brings you back to the joy of your salvation. Have you lost that joy? Do you miss that joy? Have you ever said or thought, I wish I could know the experience that I had when I first came to Christ or when I first understood His grace. This is what repentance does. This is what David is longing for and expecting. He's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I knew it. Bring it back into my life. Repentance recreates the exhilaration of the initial love of Christ. So, God wants us to experience the faith. Experience His love. Know His nearness. Know what it means for the Spirit of God to fill us. So, so that leads us to this. So how does repentance restore? It restores our joy. And then look here, the end of that verse, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So repentance gives us a willing spirit. So what does this mean? Understand that David is saying something about his own spirit here, his own being here. In the verse prior, David says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So David is recognizing that God poured his spirit out upon him, called him unto himself, called him to accomplish his will. And so David is recognizing the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And he knew that God had taken his Holy Spirit from Saul. And he said, God, please don't do that. To me, I know that I need your spirit. That's in the verse prior. And this is what happens to us at conversion. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He pours his spirit out upon us. And he gives us new life by his spirit. But now, David says, You've given me your spirit. You've not taken it away. I've sinned grievously, grievously against you you, and now provide and uphold me with a willing spirit. So what David is saying is, I have grieved your spirit. I have quenched your spirit. Paul in the New Testament warns us of this, both of these things, grieving in Ephesians, 
quenching in 1 Thessalonians. He warns us of the danger of grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit. David has done both, and now he is asking that God keeps the Holy Spirit in him, and he's also asking that God would give him a willing spirit so that the Holy Spirit could flood into his life. In other words, he's saying, Lord, help me not to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. So, when you and I quench the Holy Spirit, when you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, which is to say we don't have a willing spirit, then we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with ourself. Yet, when our spirit is willing, fills us. He fills us with His Spirit to accomplish His will. And repentance restores us in such a way that leads to a life filled with the Spirit. Do you see that this is flowing from repentance? It leads to a life filled with the Holy Spirit. This I have to do this quickly. Number three, repentance also leads to repentance leads to the repentance of of others, and we see this from David's heart. We see this from his heart. So I know how so many feel about evangelism. When it comes down to it, we just don't. We just don't want to do it. We just don't like the idea of evangelism. What repentance leads to, and how David saw it differently than that, and I believe that we can too with a life of repentance. When we this is how they, when David saw the freedom from the guilt and the bondage of sin, when he understood the freedom of honesty with God and others, when he saw the joy of salvation and longed for it, when he got the filling of the spirit and when he understood that none of that can be experienced without the covenant love of God, he knew that he would share that with others. He knew when God restored him, he would share it with others. This is how we can think and live out the gospel. This is how evangelism, sharing our life with others, can flow from a life of repentance because we can understand and embrace all of these things. We will share that with others. And not just share it with others. Look at what David also says. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And he says, And sinners will return to you. So it doesn't mean we'll just evangelize. It means that our evangelism will have fruit. Repentance will bring conversions. That's how God will intend to do it. So it doesn't just mean that we'll now have boldness and courage to share our faith. It means that God is going to bring people into your life that need the gospel. And they'll have ears to hear the gospel and they'll lean in when you're talking about the gospel. Because your heart is, is one of repentance. You can be honest with them. You can be real with them. You don't have to manufacture things with them. It's all very real. It's all very genuine. And so David knows David says, God, I understand that a life with you means that I will then share this truth with others and then sinners will praise your name. 
along with me. They'll join in with me. And he expects that. And this is the gospel that we give. To understand that Christ came. He came and he died. And then he took his blood and he sprinkled his blood on us. Pronouncing us clean. Making us whiter than snow. And when we understand this. And when this starts to change our heart. Where our entire life is one of repentance. Then the gospel then will begin to draw people into our life. That have ears to hear it. We no longer think of this as something that just seems out of place. But instead, this is our life. We're inviting people into our life. And this is how people will know us. By the mark of repentance. Which is a mark of the gospel. Which is a mark of the one true church. Let's pray. Father, we, we are speaking of things that we don't deserve. We've certainly not earned these things, we're asking for a posture before you that seems um, seems like it would be only for someone else. But God, it's by your grace that you have given us your word. It's by your grace that you have led us to see the truth of your gospel for this mystery to be revealed to us. And so, Father, I pray that we would now run to that, that we would draw near to you and we would believe the promise that you're drawing near to us. So God, let us not leave here with a heart that's just halfway repentant. Lord, the things that are easy and things that we know that know that we've got to deal with, but instead we would long for you to go deep deep with us and it would cause us to run to the cross run to your cleansing power we pray in Jesus name